All right, what's going on, everybody? Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz Is Magazine, and I want to welcome you to today's episode of Jazz Is Live. Uh, we're calling it Jazz Is Live because it is 5 p.m. Eastern, where we are, uh, and a little too early for last call. But that said, it is still Miles Monday. Uh, which means we dedicate this whole episode to all things Miles Davis. Uh, we are joined in this endeavor by Miles Davis's nephew, Vince Wilburn Jr., who will be on in a minute, and Mr. Lenny White, who was the drummer on Miles Davis's 1970 album, Bitches Brew. Uh, he was also in Chikoria's Return to Forever. We'll be talking a little bit about that. Anyway, since it is Miles Monday, uh, let us know if you have seen Miles Davis in person. Uh, if you've been to a Miles Davis concert, I'm so curious. Let us know in the comments. Uh, if you have a question for either Vince or Lenny, let us know in the comments. Let us know your favorite Miles album. Let us know anything about Miles Davis. Let us know where you're watching from. Say hi to Vince. Say hi to Lenny. We want to hear about it in the comments. And if you're watching this and you're thinking, oh my God, there's definitely someone I know who's going to want to talk to either Lenny or Vince, uh, share this link and let's make it a jam. Let's get everybody involved. Let's make it a good hang. Uh, and as always, if you have questions, like I say, for Vince or Lenny, submit them. We'll try to get to them at the end of the show. Anyway, it is Miles Monday. We are celebrating the life of a jazz legend today and every Monday. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring today's co-host, Vince Wilburn Jr. into the picture and Mr. Lenny White. Vince and Lenny, are you there? Yes, sir. Hey, hey, what's up, B? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for joining us on Miles Monday. We certainly appreciate it. Now, our viewers know they've seen Vince before. He is my co-host for uh, Miles Monday, but this is a real treat. We are joined by Mr. Lenny White. Thanks for being here, man. How you been? Good. Very good. Hold up, quarantine, locked away. You've been <laughs> working on any uh, projects while you're at home? Yeah, yes. A uh, few things. Uh Actually, Vince and I are doing Miles Davis Electric Band. That's right. And uh, I am going to have some of my uh, orchestral pieces played by NYU Orchestra this semester, whenever Very it nice. starts or gets back together. So I've been working on a few things. A few things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, I would love to start at the beginning for you because you've kind of got a fascinating story. You grew up in New York, right? Yes. You were Jamaica Queens. Jamaica Queens. Queens <clears throat> representative, right? I lived in Forest Hills for a while. Um, uh, you were you were a largely self-taught cat, right? I mean, you did you take formal lessons growing up? How did not you la not largely? Yeah, all self-taught, <laughs> all the way. Self-taught. Ain't, 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 no, ain't no bit of it. <laughs> not self-taught. No. Yeah. Very cool. So you were just when did you get your first kit? Oh, I don't know. I was maybe about. Uh, well, I started playing at. 14. Okay. So, I mean, I think my first kit was a Kent All right. drum kit. Kent. Yeah, Kent. And it was a bass drum and a snare drum. That's all it was. <laughs> and it had a cymbal going through the middle of the bass drum. And, you know, you put the cymbal up there, you know. It's hey, Kent. If you can you groove know. on it, you can groove on it. Vince, hey. when did you start playing drums? I was in, I was a little drummer boy in kindergarten. Okay, a little bit and, of a head start. And, well, in the head start, I'm still catching up, trying to catch up. Um, I had a, hey, Lynn, I had a Norma kit. Norma. Woo! I ain't never heard of that one, man. From Monroe, it was Monroe is a mail order catalog. 
uh, uh, place, real popular in Chicago where I grew up. And it was a Norma, N-O-R-M-A, kit, Blue Sparkle. <laughs> then, then a kid down the street had a Blue Sparkle kit that I got off of him and he had flowers. <laughs> he had flowers stuck on his drums and I combined the kit because I wanted like to look at, you know, double right. kit. Yeah. You know, but it was, it was, it was wild. But the, 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 the different sparkles were two different shades, the two kits. <laughs> so the kit with the flowers on it were, was a little lighter than my kit, you know. <laughs> but I had gotten, I got it actually after that kit, you know, I kind of grew out of that. Then my dad got me a kit from uh, a drum instructor by the name of Brad Spinney. And he had a, a, a kit that was um, a premiere. And it wow. had a heater in the bass drum. Cause, a you know, heater? Like, yes, because you know, it was calf skins. You know, like you had to heat the drums oh, up. They right. wouldn't yeah, they had wow. to supple. Yeah. This, is be, this is before plastic heads. Wow. And, you wow. know, so, yeah. It was, it was as what, it was an older kit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And by the way, hey, people are writing in. Ronald is saying he used to give lessons on a Kent kit at a music shop. Wow. Uh, you know, Matt Merowitz is saying, hey, man, hello to Matt Merowitz. Hello to Cassandra. Hello to Sean. Everybody watching. Again, if you think there's somebody who wants to be in on this conversation, click that share button. Let's make this a hang. So, Lenny, okay. How did you go from being a self-taught cat playing the New York scene to eventually meeting Miles Davis? Who were you playing with in between? I played with Jackie McLean. So that was, that was the big launch pad. No, no. So, so, so there's, there's a lineage here. So what happened is when I heard, uh, when I was 17 years old and I heard Seven Steps to Heaven. Okay. And I found out that the drummer on Seven Steps to Heaven was 17 years old when he recorded it. And that was sure. Tony Williams. That's right. Immediately, he became my guy. Okay. And immediately my goal was to play with Miles Davis. Wow. So From that I, had on, yeah. I had found out, I had found, I mean, I got the, the gig with, with uh, Jackie McLean, okay. and I found out that Jack DeJeanette played with Jackie McLean. Sure. And then he went and played with Miles. So everybody's saying to me, everybody's going, oh man, yeah, you're gonna play with Miles now, you're gonna play with Miles. I said, yeah, right, right. But that became my goal. And sure enough, I got an opportunity to, to play with Miles two years later. Wow. Did the, and did the introduction come through Jackie? No. Actually, Miles called my house. Wow. And uh, no, no, Lynn, tell him about your mom. About your mom. <laughs> <laughs> he called my house. And, you know, he had that raspy yeah, voice. Yeah. And, you know, my mother said, you know, who's this? And, like, you know. She said, I don't care who you are, but if you don't speak up, I'm going to hang up this phone. So, <laughs> in actuality, you know, uh, he got through and then he, he asked me to come to his house, bring a cymbal and a snare drum. And all we rehearsed was the actual beginning of Bitches Brew. That went, wow. you know, and that's that's all we rehearsed. And he said, "Be in the studio at uh, ten o'clock tomorrow morning." Wow! So. Wow! Yeah, Vince Miles was kind of famous for doing this, right? He find your phone number somehow, give you a call, to be at the studio. Yeah, yeah. He he yeah. told Herbie. He told Herbie, 
uh, show up tomorrow at my house and didn't even give him the address, just hung up, Herbie Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for Daryl Jones, he had Daryl play over the phone. Wow, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knew, so, Yeah, he said, he said uh, Daryl played a little bit. He said, well, how long is it going to take you to get here? And Daryl said, well, I could be in New York in a couple of days. So Uncle Miles said, what you going to do, walk? <laughs> <laughs> for miles it's a drop everything kind of a situation you know? oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So wow. he, but he knew see the fact is i, yeah. I think what well, is great he probably asked around to a lot of people and then like you know he heard something in all the people that he really wanted to try to listen to yeah to get his music across that's what he did with everybody i mean yeah. you know so absolutely I mean, it's hard to say, but what do you think he heard in you? Because I know in addition to the jazz thing, you were also coming from an Earth, Wind & Fire background, you know, a lot of R&B. Um, you know, so do you, as he was putting this fusion project together, do you think he may have picked up on that sensibility in you a little bit? Well, it wasn't fusion when we did it. Right. <laughs> it was yeah. jazz rock. Yeah. And Yeah, fusion was kind of a dirty word back then. It still is. Yeah. So. But what happened was... <laughs> I think the fact is that he had heard that I was playing with Jack McLean. Yeah. And he also, I got a recommendation from Tony Williams. Okay. Yeah. That'll so, be, get a co-sign from Tony and that does it. You know. So, and, yeah, man. And, uh, and I had, I don't know where Tony had heard me because he might have just had spoken to Jack McLean. I don't know. But you know, yeah. Lenny, the word probably got around, you know. That's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. But were you at the were you were you at the studio like really early for the record date? The the, the cleaning lady let me in. I was supposed to, <laughs> was supposed to be there at ten o'clock. I was there at nine thirty. <laughs> and the cleaning lady let me in and I came in and set up my stuff right next to Jack. Right. And you wow. know, like tuning you know, trying to get stuff and Miles comes in and he presses down the, the talk back in the control room. He said, hey, Jack. He said, yeah, Miles, tell that young drummer to shut up. <laughs> I'm in the studio, and right away, you know. Yeah, right. And trial we, by hey, fire. Where's that bitch's blue bass drum? You have it. You have it right there? Right here. Hold on, Frog. Do you Frog. really? You got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. Let me take my headphones off. You got to see this because it's it's not a regular bass drum. It was made from an oil drum. Oh man, this was look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that, that. man. This was look. the bass you were playing on for the whole session. Yes, we're trying to put that in the African American Museum. Yeah, in, absolutely, in, man. Yeah. Now, where would where'd this come from? Where was this picked up? No, it was a uh, there's a friend of mine who knew uh, Dave Liebman. Yeah. And and uh, uh, Lenny, uh, what was Lenny's bass bass player last name? Lenny Fields, I think, and Steve Grossman. Okay. They had a friend. I think his name was Jimmy something. Uh, Jimmy Matt. I don't know if it's Jimmy Matt. Anyway, he had this drum, and I heard about it, and I saw it. I said, "Oh, I got to get that drum." It was black. It was all black. Okay. And Elvin wanted the drum. And I got it before Elvin did. I, I bought it before Elvin did. But like that's an actual oil drum. Wow, man! That you know was oil was in, and yeah. and you know like he you know did put machines on it, and you know like 
It was really great, man. That's got one of those old uh, uh, mounts for Tom Toms. It's, mm. It was really cool. And it, sound, it sounded great, although when I took that drum to Rudy Van Gelder's to do Red Clay with Ron Carter, he said, nope, you can't use that drum. Nope. <laughs> it had a certain kind of sound. Yes. Work for bitches yes. brew when you're in there with Jack. Yeah. So, hey, Vince, were you at these sessions too? Were you at these bitches? No, 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 no. I was in Chicago trying to be like Lenny White. Yeah, you <laughs> trying to be Lenny White. No, no, I, I was um, coming up, you know, but, um, but I, I, I used to, I used to ask Lenny to repeat the stories. Tell me the stories. Well, Lenny, we, Lenny, Lenny, hey, you know what, B? Lenny and I are like a lot like brothers. You know? I, I consider us family. Yeah, I've known and, him and for such a long time, man. I used to wait for Lenny when he would tour. I'd wait at the auditorium. It was like a little alleyway. And, and Lenny would come if it was the auditorium of the Park West or the Airy Crown. And he'd give me a hug and point to his road manager and, and his road manager would just give me all these tickets and passes. Then I'd have my boys come down, all the drummers, all my boys, we'd come down and check out, you know, I'd call, hey man, Lenny hooked me up yeah, and all man. the cats would come down. Yeah, you know, man, you know, I love this, it. Oh man, and that, and this went on for years, you know? Part of the Miles Davis family. No, and yeah, yeah. So, you know, the stories are famous about that session. We've heard so much about these Bitches Brew sessions. You were there, Lenny. So maybe you can help dispel some of the myths. You know, the myths is that it was just craziness and the musicians couldn't hear each other and it was just like wild. But take me back to the beginning where the band is there and Miles is kind of, you know, kicking things off. Well, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the situation is there are a lot of people that say that they were on the Bitches Brew sessions. Hmm. And this is not true. Uh -huh. The Bitches Brew sessions were done three days in August of 1969. It was recorded 24 hours after Jimi Hendrix played the last note at Woodstock. Wow. And there were 13 musicians. And the musicians were Miles Davis, uh, Wayne Shorter, Benny Maupin, Right. Uh, John McLaughlin, uh, Harvey Brooks, um, um, Don Elias. Yeah, no, Don Elias, Juma Santos, Jack DeJanette, myself, and uh, Dave Holland. Okay. okay. Those are the musicians that were on, and we recorded for three days. Wow. And those are the musicians that were. Now, see what happens though. What happened a lot is Miles would record and then they would release things later that said the complete Bitches Blue sessions, but that's not the case. There were extra musicians on there. There were extra musicians and they were done at a later date. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because when I, when I thought, when I heard that they were gonna release the complete Bitches Blue sessions, right. I thought that they were going to release the outtakes and everything because some of the music had changed when we recorded it. There were things that were done that Tio cut things and put the bridge where the beginning was and changed things around. I mm -hmm. said, oh, okay, so now we're going to hear all of that. Right. That wasn't the case. No. Some of the, now, you can go online 
for some reason, with on YouTube, you can, I think it's called the Bitches Brew Outtakes or whatever, and you can hear some of those things that I thought was going to be on the Bitches Brew, uh, uh, complete Bitches Brew sessions. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't know how they got those tapes, but. But you're saying the original sessions was just that core group that you described. That's, that's it. That's it. And what no was the... pic- there were no pictures, nobody, there were no cameras, no, nothing like that. Yeah. The only person that was at the Bitches Brew session that was not part of the group was Max Roach. Wow. wow. Just check. Wow. Yeah. Just checking things out. Yep. Just Max was there. Well, so, he and, he and hey, Miles were tight. You know, hey, of Lenny, course. Hey, Lenny, but, but before the sessions, did you all re- rehearse at Miles at uh, 177? All we rehearsed was the beginning of Bitches Brew. That was it. As a group. That was, that was, that a, was, that was the only it. thing you had down. So Nothing who, else. Who was and that was house? Jack, uh-huh. Chick, Wayne, Dave Holland, and Miles. That was that, it. That was it. The only thing. That was it. And all I had was a cymbal and a snare drum. That was and then it. He, and then he said, you'll be at the studio tomorrow. Be at the studio tomorrow at... Uh, and was that the first thing you recorded? Was that the first thing you recorded off the bat? Um, no. I mean, you, you know, the, we had gone through some different configurations of things. Right. And, I mean, I, I learned a big lesson. One of the lessons that I learned was we had done, uh, we were getting ready to do Miles Runs the Voodoo Down. And Jack and I were playing what we thought was really hip. You know, yeah. we thought, yeah. It was, and that's not what Miles wanted. Miles said, no, no, no. You ain't getting the chicken. And so, because he wanted something that was really funky. Okay. Get the chicken. Get the chicken. <laughs> now, I probably had played more funk music than anybody. I was the youngest right. guy there. Yes. And, you know, I did it. And I thought myself. And so, so, so Don Elias... He said, Miles, I got to be, and he came up with like the most simple beat, like, and Jack didn't play it either. So he wound up playing that, and I wound up playing percussion. I wound up playing Shekere, you know, on that, you know. Shekere's got a groove too. And and after after that, that session, I was like, oh man, I was really despondent. I went over yes. in the corner and I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I had an opportunity to play with Miles. And Miles came over and said, what's wrong? I said, man, you know, I thought, you know, he said, no, 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 no. Be here tomorrow at 10 o'clock, you know. So I got a reprieve. You said, And we did Spanish key. Okay. Ah! Yeah. That's what did it. Killing. Yeah, the challenge killing. of playing, because uh, it's a two drummer record, you know, for the most part. Yes. Got no, it was two, it was two drummers and two percussion players. And two percussion. Yeah. What yeah. is the challenge for both of you? I mean, you're both drummers of of playing in a two drummer setting like that. Because I imagine well, you can't be too busy. No, 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 no. It's not a challenge at all to me. Oh, yeah? I didn't think look at it as a challenge because what I wanted it to do is I wanted it to sound like one drummer that had eight arms. Hmm. So I would listen and I'd play some, but see Miles was he said, he came over to me and he said, think of this as a big pot of stew. And I want you to be salt. Mm. 
So now what musical knowledge am I going to use to sound like Saul? So immediately it wasn't about playing music. It was about creating music. So mm -hmm. he gave me an opportunity to create, create some music. So I, I, I learned how to create music before I learned how to play it. Right. Afterwards, I learned hey, Lenny, how to play music. I got a question. I read yeah. or I heard, or I think Benny mentioned it, that after the, a day of recording, the music was so powerful that, that some of the guys went out and had a discussion about what was just what was recorded. You know, like they couldn't believe what just happened. Nobody knew what it was. I mean, there, there was no precedent. Now, see, he, they had done uh, a, a, In a Silent Way, but In a Silent Way was just, you know, a few tracks and like... Right. Uh, you know, Tony just played side stick on certain things, and mm -hmm. you know, like it, it, it laid a palette for what was to become. But man, this was like 13 musicians, and wow. it's the most African sounding record I thought that Miles ever made because you know, you had 13 musicians, and you had there was a collective consciousness, right. so like you know, egos weren't there because you mm. don't know what it is that you're going to play. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you know what it is you're going to play, you're going to play like a blues and F or whatever. Ah, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get my stuff up. Ah, ah. But nobody knew what it was going to be. And after we did it, we didn't know what it was going to be. Mm. You know, and, and I was the only one that got an opportunity to hear it because Miles called me up and told me to come by his house. And we sat and listened to outtakes wow okay and what was and, your impression that because that's what i've heard guys were in the studio laying it down they had no idea what it sounded like no they didn't get to hear so but you you were at miles house you get yeah. to listen to some demo what was your impression of it then clicks play and you hear it for the first time okay i'm telling you the truth okay the fact is <laughs> i was in miles davis's house with miles davis <laughs> listening to music that i played with miles davis and i'm going like Wow, this is, you know, this is in August. Yeah. In October, I woke up out of a dead sleep. I recorded with Miles Davis. <laughs> the reason why is because, yeah, a lot of people say, yeah, man, I, you know, I played with Miles. But this was documented. Yeah. This was going to be documented. And for the rest of the, the life of the world and me and after me. Long after we're gone. I was going to be able to say I played with Miles Davis and my name was going to be on the album. Hey, Lenny, tell him, tell him the story about in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. No, what happened is I had gone to San Francisco. I, I had, I was in school. I was in college at the time and I got an op opportunity to play with Buddy Montgomery, West Montgomery's brother. And we went on the road and went to San Francisco. And my parents had said, if you leave school, uh, you're going to be on your own. So you're not coming back here. So yeah. so I got out there, and there was a newspaper strike. We, we played in um, Vancouver, and there was a newspaper paper strike, okay. and nobody showed up. So we didn't make any money. We had to throw bags out of the hotel and, you know, drive away <laughs> and like, all that stuff. <laughs> and we got to... to we got to San Francisco, <laughs> and, and Buddy had uh, a friend who lives in San Francisco, so we could stay, you know, in certain places. And I was walking down Geary Street, 
And it was about like six o'clock and there was a record store. And in the record store, it had a, a sign that said, new Miles Davis album. So I knocked on the window and I said, please, can you just show me the album cover? Because I'm playing on that record. So the right. guy was nice enough. So he went back and he got the album cover and he held up the album cover. Wow. Uh, man, I was, I had, well, that's one of my favorite album covers of all time oh, anyway. Absolutely. And so I looked, I said, wow. I said, can you just turn it around, turn it around? I just, I want to see, because I wanted to see my name. Because my name, I, I was right, as a kid, I would write my name on the back of album covers. Wow. So that I could wow. see what you were on it. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it looked like. And he held it up. And if you look at that album cover now, it says Miles Davis trumpet, Wayne Shorter soprano saxophone, Lenny White drums. I was the third guy, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Couldn't I believe it. Totally freaked out. Totally oh, freaked that's out. awesome, man. Yeah, beautiful album yeah. cover. One of my favorites as well. I forget the name of the German uh, painter who did it. Yeah, no, it's um, uh, uh, Maddie Claren. Claren. Yes. Yes, Maddie Clara. Yeah. But so representative of the music, just like you said. Yes. Futuristic, Afrocentric. It was the impression that, okay, this is unlike anything you've heard before because That's this right. album cover is like anything you've seen before. That's right. Um, it so. was all right, packaged the right way. And you got to think about what was happening in 1968-69. And so, like, when that music came out at that same time period, it was like, conscious music because of what was going on it was really really heavy indeed man it, it, that was a renaissance a that was going it was going through a musical renaissance anyway i mean you know like sly and and james brown and Jimi hendrix was still alive at that point right the music was going to something totally different man yeah you know there was even a memo when when the label asked uncle miles what 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 was the title going to be? <laughs> and he said, I'm going to call it Bitches Brew. And back then, you couldn't say, you know what That's I mean? Right. That was no, right. no. What, what happened is, like, people say, hey, man, I heard you recorded with Miles Davis. I said, yeah. They said, what's the name of the album? I said, Bitches Brew. Oh, Witches Brew. I said, no, Bitches Brew. <laughs> bitches oh, brew. Witches Brew. No, Bitches Brew. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Even that was yeah. a statement unto itself, you know, to, to name the album something like that. I was, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. I was, I was, we had gone to some place that was a Miles tribute, and and Miles's brother Vernon was there, and and Vince introduced me. She, he said, "Uncle Vernon, this is Lenny White. He played on Bitches Brew." And and his uncle said, "Oh, I hated that title. I never liked that title." <laughs> <laughs> and and when they sent it to my parents' house, Brian, I I stared at the record. I just stared yeah. at the cover. Yeah, yeah. Let alone the music. But when I when I when I put the when I put the record on, I was hypnotized. You know, I was there like in a trance. There it is. It was like you know I was it was like a met it was like I was transformed into something. It was like, yeah. you know, it was deep even you, for me. For, so you know, many for, all, for, for all my boys, you know, growing yes. up in Chicago, even you know, because my dad he liked the the the, the acoustic side. You know, the, sure. and then the his lecture set. So when his when my dad's friends would come over. They would have arguments like, yeah. like Vince, why are you putting that on? Let's put it on such a Take off, you know. But it was like the, the you know, like the electric side and the acoustic side. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But so. Bitches Brew changed a lot of people's lives, man. Yes, it did. Yeah. 
It was a part of that 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 musical renaissance that was happening, and that yeah. you were so involved in, Lenny. I mean, you know, from there, um, you know, to Return to Forever, some of the stuff you did with Al Dimiola, um, you know. And I'm curious, you, 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 the fusion word, the F word, still a dirty word. So you don't like to call it fusion. <clears throat> well, here's the point. Yeah. Basically, what happened is there was a new music yes. that was created that nobody had a name for. And basically what it was, what it was created from two diametrically opposed types of music. You had jazz and the complexity of jazz and harmonic complexity of what jazz was. And then you had rock, which was like straight beats and you know, not a lot of chords and everything. So you had jazz rock. Right. And that's what it was. Right. Later on, they started to make it something that was a fusion, jazz fusion, because you took the two. But before there was a fusion, it was jazz and it was rock. It was jazz rock. When Tony Williams did Lifetime, that was jazz rock. It was an organ trio, which is one of the conventional organ groups. I mean, jazz groups, an organ trio on steroids. Larry Young. Larry Young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like what? I even, like, I, even like, I even like jazz rock better than jazz future. Well, yeah. So Mahavishnu Orchestra, Return to Forever, Weather Report, Headhunters. Mm. Those are the seminal bands, and that was jazz rock because it captured the spirit of both at the time. You know, See, yeah, there was there was there was an energy right. in rock and roll. Right. <clears throat> there was yeah. an energy in jazz, yes. and they yeah. did this together, yeah. and, and they made this energetic music. That I mean, you know, I, I remember talking with Chip, and you know, like people were saying. I mean, people said, "Well, like, yeah, uh, you guys played fusion, you know, because you had the fusion of classical and whatever." And Chick said, "Well, you know, I didn't think of it like that." The fact is, is that when we were creating a certain kind of music, there was a certain kind of energy that we were looking to yeah. interject into the music. And so yeah. we might have played something that had the energy of rock and roll, but what yeah. we needed for the composition was the energy, the energy. created in classical music. And so, if that happens to touch classical, if that happens to touch jazz, that happens to touch exactly rock, so right. be it. Right. It's the spirit, right. the energy. But see, that's, that makes that, a lot of sense. All, all, all the, all the great, quote unquote, jazz musicians never just listen to jazz. Right. They listen to all different kinds of music. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that, Lenny. And then what happens is they, they tighten the, their lens, and their lens is a jazz lens. So, like you know, Miles Davis didn't just listen to jazz. He, he listened to James classical Brown, music. He classical listened to music. Yep. exactly yep. because. You get to have that harmonic range, mm. you have to find those kinds of things on other kinds of musics. And mm. then you bring that into the jazz perspective and your jazz changes. Your jazz becomes something that, wow, I don't know what it is, so I'm going to call it fusion. Right. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Now it makes yeah. sense. It makes yeah. absolute sense. So, Lenny, what was your relationship with Miles post Bitches Brew, after Bitches Brew, and when did you first meet Mr. Vince Wilburn Jr.? 
Oh, I, Vince, where you up? 15 years old? I don't yeah, know, I'm man. Begging for passes backstage. <laughs> and, but after I, I had played, I had done, done um, Vicious Brew. And then Miles had asked me to uh, come down. He, they were playing at the, at the Village Gate. Mm. And it was the band, I guess they call it the, the Lost Quintet. You know, with, oh, right, with right. Wayne and and Jack and uh, Chick, he said, "I want you to come down every night and hear the band because I was going to go on the road. Lydia DeJanet was going to have her first child, and Jack was going to stay home and be with her, and I was going to go on the road with the band. So I went down to the Village Gate for a week every night and listened." you know, to the band. And it was deep because Art Blicky came one night and sat in. There's two drummers, Art and DeJanette. Wow. Uh, uh, Sonny Rollins came. And then Herbie came. Okay. And one night, Chick would play the uh, electric piano and Herbie played the acoustic piano. And Chick would play and Herbie would answer everything that Chick played. It yeah. was remarkable. That was yeah. really, really special. That, that, that should have been recorded. Later. I was going to say, if somebody been. had a tape recorder yeah. going on that yeah. thing, wow. It, it should have. So I had gone to do that, and um, I was getting ready to – I had spoken to Jack Whittemore, who was Miles' manager at the time, a booking agent, booking agent. I mean, Harold Levette was his – Manager. Lawyer, yeah, manager. Lawyer, yeah. Mm -hmm, manager. And and we had worked out, you know, yeah, fine. And I was going to go to Lenny's on the turnpike and play. And I was over uh, Miles's house listening to the outtakes of Bitches Brew. And I said, Miles, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go into Brooklyn uh, to meet my girlfriend. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to. He said, I'll take you in. So he drove me into Brooklyn. And dropped me off, and you know I was cool, good ready, and he got shot. Wow! So mm -hmm. I never got that opportunity to go and play on the road with him. I recorded with him again, a uh, part of uh, Jack Johnson. Yeah, uh, I done that, you know. And it was weird. One night, I was playing a, a gig with uh, uh, Dave Liebman and uh, Steve Grossman. And there's two drums, Bobby Moses and myself. Okay. And and Moss came to the gig. He came in the dressing room afterwards. And he said, do you want to play with Jimi Hendrix? And I said, nah. Because I was, I was enamored with Miles, you know, stupid. Oh, man. You turned down Jimi Hendrix? Jimi Hendrix. Oh. <laughs> hey, Lynn. Yes. He turned down Jimmy and Journey. Oh, I didn't tell them that story. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, 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 that's another. <laughs> hey, Brian, ask him about that. Uh, hey, not, no, no. you know, Vince asked him. Vince <laughs> asked. Yeah, no, I, I had gone out to uh, San Francisco, and I was in this band called Azteca, and with Pete and uh, Coke Escovito, Paul Jackson on bass, Tom Harrell on trumpet. You know, it was a Really nice, great band. And so we had some time off. And Chick gave me a call. He was in Japan. He says, listen, 
Stanley and I are coming to uh, uh, San Francisco. Would you play a week with us at the Keystone Corner? I said, great, yeah, I'm here. I don't, you know. And so um, they came out and we did uh, a week at the Keystone Corner in San Francisco. And it was remarkable. It was absolutely great. On the last night, uh, two guitar players, a percussion player and saxophone player sat in. It was Mel Martin who played saxophone. And Mingo Lewis played percussion. Mingo. And the, and the um, guitarists were Barry Finnerty okay. and Billy Connors. And so after the set, Chick said, listen, man, I want to start an electric return to forever. Right. Would you be into doing it? And I said, well, Chick, you know, I'm out here with uh, Azteca and, you know, I think I'm going to stay out here and, 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 and do this. So he said, yeah, okay, I understand. So they went back to New York and he got uh, Steve Gadd to play. And so I'm still out in San Francisco. And while I'm out in San Francisco, uh, a manager, uh, Herbie Herbert came and said, listen, um, you're not doing anything now, man. Would you be into jamming with uh, Neil Sean and Ross Valerie? I said, yeah, sure, cool, cool. And so I did a jam. I have a cassette here somewhere of, of us playing. Wow. And after after it was over, man, they were like, oh, man, it was so great, man. Like, we're going to start this band. And Greg Rowley from uh, uh, Santana is going to be in the band, too. And we'd like to know if you want to be in this band with us. So by the time that had happened, Chick had called me back and said, come on, man, come on back and Let's do this, this band. You into doing it? And I said, okay, yeah. So I left and went back and did Return to Forever. But that band that I was supposed to be in was Journey. Would go on. <laughs> well, you know, hey, man, it's you've you've done plenty well for yourself regardless, man, playing with Journey yeah. Return to Forever. So hey, but, Journey's but, lost. Journey's and lost. And you know what, Brian? That yeah. that's the kind of that's why I love Lynn so much, is because He's never pigeonholed. He's never locked Absolutely. into one thing. You Absolutely. know what I mean? He's like a he's like a chameleon, you know, and he and he's he's always evolving, you know. And 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 yep. that's when because you got to understand, my first exposure to this music is through Bitches Brew. So yeah, we start there. Yeah, you know, we start there, and so that's where it's got to be. You know, you go it's got to yeah. go like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. hey, I want to wrap with some final questions here. Vince mentioned the stories. Everybody's got Miles Davis stories. When you think back on those early sessions, is there one funny, poignant, powerful memory that is kind of stuck in your brain? You know what? I I know. Okay, there is there is one, <laughs> there is one, and it wasn't at the session. Okay, this is after it had happened, and, and Stanley Clark and I went over to Miles's house one day. Okay, and Miles had a veggie burger. Okay, this is before it had a veggie <laughs> burger. Yeah, pretty health conscious back then. <laughs> and he offered me some of it, and I, I. You know, it was good. It, it tasted great. But Stanley was like, 
I don't know. He was uh, he was a meat eater, and like he really couldn't get the concept of not eating meat and everything, you know. <laughs> yeah. And like there was this whole big thing, and we talk about it all the time. You know, remember the veggie burger? You know, so <laughs> you know. I mean, it was all in fun, though. It, right, it, right. It was it was cool, you know. But at, cool. at the sessions, man, Miles was like he knew what he really wanted. Yeah. yeah, and you know, in he, it was in his head, and we didn't know. Hmm. And after he had done it, then I guess Tio did some things to change things around. And it wasn't that Tio did it by himself. Miles had given Tio some direction in what he wanted. Right. So. I think in his head, he always had the idea of what it is. Lynn, that's when that's what you said, and I agree. That anytime you, Brian, if you read the the top of the albums, it always says "Directions of Music," right, by Miles, by Miles. Davis. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, as you move on to doing your own stuff, um, your own <clears throat> your own leader groups, were there mile were there lessons that we were able to you know absorb from Miles um, with regard to playing or leading a band? Because I've always thought I've always said this. I'm a trumpet player, and I've always thought that Miles had a very special relationship with his drummer. Right. See, this, very high see, standards for the drummer. See this book? Yeah. I teach a lecture class wow. at NYU every semester from this book. Yeah. And it talks about, I mean, the book talks about the actual sessions and how, what Miles's mindset was before doing it and at the time of doing it. <clears throat> and those mind and that mindset can be somewhat of a blueprint in how to start and to lead a band right. in making music and what's interesting about it is that what the book talks about is how those things permeated and not just in jazz music but they talk about uh, um, a lot of different artists from different genres of music how bitches brew was a beacon in what it is they were going to do Yep. From that, yep. Yep. Radiohead. Right. Yep. I mean, you know, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of groups that listen to that music and created what it is that they created. Right. So that the album that launched a thousand bands. That's exactly right. right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I will. You know, I'm curious about this too, Lenny. Did you ever end up meeting Tony Williams? <laughs> did I meet him? Of course. I mean, I played with him. That's we right. Played, right. We played two drums. We played two drums. And, Where did you meet him? When was that? Well, the fact is, is I had seen him. I had been going to see him forever. You know, yeah, when I was hero. able to, yeah. when I was able to get into jazz clubs, I I never forget, man. I went to the Vanguard, and Miles was supposed to play at the Vanguard, but Miles didn't show up. And it was Freddie Hubbard, with the whole everybody else, and Freddie Hubbard, and I sat in like drummers corner over there in yeah. the vanguard yeah, yeah. and sat and watched tony man and i was like this you know it was it, it was uh i got lessons in how to do things mm. by just just watching 
And then I got, when I got to meet him and we got to talk, I mean, he would say certain things. It was really great. I mean, evidently he felt as though that um, I, I was amenable enough to hear what he had to say and it would help me and help my playing. Mm. So beautiful. Well, hey, Lenny, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, thanks for the stories. Thanks for the observations. This has been great. This is kind of like our inaugural Miles Monday episode. So thanks for being here, man, to help celebrate. Oh, thank you. We Definitely. are, there we go. <laughs> going off the merch available at where? Machine Gun Lenny White. That's his nickname. That's right. <laughs> MilesDavis.com. That's right. Check hey, Brian, I just, yeah. want, I just want to say, I'm, I was just quiet, man, because I can never stop learning from Lenny. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm humble enough to say that on, on, on all so, social platforms. But Lenny has taught me so much and continues to teach me. And, 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 and one thing I want to say real quick, Lenny is honest. He's honest with the music. You know what I mean? You want to, you want to gravitate to somebody who's honest with the music. Yes. Miles was honest to the music. Yes. You know, with the music and to the music. Ron Carter, Herbie. It's guys that you want to, you know, you want to, you know, you just want to be a sponge to. Yes. And and I'm just like a kid, like I was when 15 years old, listening to this. Absolutely. You know? it's, it's, it's respect. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, you, and I, you, I, I, let, me, let me say this too. When my dad passed away, Lenny, came off of the Return to Ever for, for Return to a Forever tour, flew to Chicago, made the 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 the, the uh, service, and then flew back and, and joined the tour that night. Wow. I find that so often the case. If there's truth and honesty in the music, there's truth and honesty in the person, in the yeah. relationships, yeah. it translates. You yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, we have to represent the music. That's right. You've been doing That's, it well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah I man. mean, you you are a legend, a founding father of this music, <clears throat> and it has been an absolute pleasure, like I say, talking to you today. Thank you, Brian. Lenny, Lenny White. White. That's Lenny right. White. That's right. Lenny, we will see you backstage. I'm going to sign off with my uh, co-host here, Vince. Cool. See. Peace out. So Peace, long. Yep. See you, Brian. Thanks, see Lenny. All right, Vince. Hey, we will see you back next Monday uh, for another Miles Monday. Again, if you're out there, you have questions for Vince and whoever our guest may be, Monday is going to be the day to chime in to celebrate all things Miles Monday. Vince, where can people, you mentioned the shop, you mentioned URL. Well, what, where can people go to check these things out? For all the merch, yes. milesdavis.com and just click on shop. There you go. You can get all, whatever you want, man. It's right there. You know, Very all cool. Miles. And music, lithographs, everything. Very cool. Well, Vince, thank you so much for joining me again on Miles Monday. I will see you next week, man. And uh, same with everyone watching. You can tune in. We're, we do Jazzes live every weekday as well, uh, coming up to you with some news, uh, some reviews, some interviews. It's a mixed bag. But thank you so much for following along. Vince, let's sign off, man. So be long, well, you. Stay yep. safe, B. You see too. You next week. All right. Peace. Bye, Vince. Bye.